1: BIPOC, or Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, parents who consider the traditional school system to be replicating social injustices are beginning to make the choice to educate their children outside of that system. These are parents that are allowing their children to take ownership of their own learning. But many homeschooling, unschooling, and self-directed learning communities Are religion focused or very insular or don't center the BIPOC experience in the world. Enter My Reflection Matters Village or MRM Village. The MRM Village is a virtual, secular, co learning community for BIPOC families and non BIPOC co conspirators who want to support and educate free people. MRM Village provides support resources, conversations, and healing opportunities for caregivers and educators. Today, I'm talking with the creator of the MRM Village, Shemay Morales-James, about the community she's created and how families can get involved with this valuable resource. Welcome back to Project Parenthood. I'm your host, Dr. Nanika Kaur, clinical psychologist and respectful parenting therapist. Each week, I'll help you repair and deepen your parent-child connection increase self-compassion and cooperation from your kids, and cultivate joy, peace, and resilience in your relationship with them. Here's my chat with Chimay. Hi, everyone. I'm here now with Chimay Morales-James. Cheme is a recovering school teacher and DEI coach-turned-unschooling mama of two and intuitive-led self-directed learning organizer. She's the founder and space holder of My Reflection Matters Village, a virtual community where educators and parents interested in liberated learning and living come together to decolonize, heal, and reconnect to Indigenous ways of learning and living. I'm so glad to have you here, Project Parenthood, to educate us a little bit about self-directed learning. And like, I find that few parents know about it as an option. So thanks so much for being here.
3: Thank you so much for having me. So self-directed learning really is not a new way of learning. It's actually the natural and intuitive way in which human beings learn on this planet. With the invention of schooling, uh, formal education, we lost our ways. We lost our connection to the natural ways in which we learn. So when I think about self-directed education, when most people think about self-directed education, or talk about that, um, you know, this is about trusting the self, <laughs> really. And you know, in the work that I do, I li- I like to question, well, what's driving the self, right? And that for me is where the intuition part, the intuitive piece comes because we're not here alone. There are many elements on this earth that are guiding our intuition all the time. And our children are born innately to feel and connect with energy, but they are conditioned in our society, in our modern society, to dismiss that, to feel like there's something wrong if they're hearing things or feeling certain sensations or seeing things in dreams, messages in dreams. And so we through time and social conditioning, lose that natural connection with what's guiding ourself. So for me, self-directed education is a returning to that. It's a remembering of how I've, you know, I can have a relationship with my intuition, how I had a relationship with my intuition. And as a mother, observing how my children do that naturally and nurturing and supporting it rather than stifling it, dismissing it, demonizing it. There's a
1: yeah. I just wanted to stop you because you've said so many things and there's I'm like a lot. <laughs> ah. And you know, I thank you for that explanation and I know there's more but you know, part of part of the reason why I um wanted to reach out to you and talk with you is because you have this community that you've made around this, around the idea of self-directed learning and you know, what I find so interesting about it is that people can, you know, uh, many times we think of like homeschoolers or people who don't use traditional school sort of being like sort of siloed in their own little, like in their own little bubble, in their own little family and like not necessarily in a community of people. Um, and so your your community, um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit before we jump into the self-directed learning, just a little bit about how you came to even bring this community together you know and how it came to be a thing for you
3: yeah i once my family and i decided traditional education wasn't going to work for us and actually as my son my eldest son judah we started pre- we started a traditional thing you know remember i was an educator i was you know trained to like you know work in the system and believe in the system and when we started noticing those first couple of days of preschool that he physically was rejecting school, we'd never seen him kick doors down, yell and scream, like running to the door, you know, mommy, mommy crying. And I remember, you know, sometimes the schools have those like little cameras where you can watch your children in like this like separate room. I remember I had this moment of like, what are we doing? And who said like, we're supposed to do this thing anyway, at least in this way. Like, can't i just bring him home if his body is rejecting this place why am i why am i continuously forcing him to be here and i already in, intuitively didn't feel ready to even bring him here but i was following the you know our society's rules of what you're supposed to do and dismissing as a mother my own intuition that was trying to guide me so i you know Shane and i my husband and i were like okay we're not going to do this let's homeschool and in researching homeschooling that's when i started learning about Unschooling really through Akila S. Richards uh, podcast, Fear the Free Child. And I knew in my heart that this was, this felt right. This felt like home, even though I had no idea how this is good, the how of it. <laughs> I didn't know how it was going to turn out or how it was going to look. But I intuitively felt like this feels right. And so in doing this, making this decision, I learned really quickly that in the home education, unschooling world, um, that, you know, not everyone's going to enter this with a very social conscious mindset. <laughs> and I felt once again, like I did in, in conventional uh, schooling spaces, that, okay, like this is not, something's not right here. I need to find my people. I need to find more folks of color and I need to find folks in general Uh, white folks and folks of color that understand that this work isn't just about themselves, (laughs) that we have a bigger purpose in our lives. Our children have a bigger purpose in this life and we're supporting that. So that led me to wanting to build community. And so I started as simple as like a Facebook group with like finding people in my local state. And then that grew. And then we ended up forming a self-directed learning cooperative just for black, indigenous and folks of color here in our state. And then the pandemic hit. (laughs) I mean, everything just flipped upside down, but in a way, like this really, some, this expanded our work because one of the things I was noticing in the work that I was doing here in Connecticut with other families of color is that while we were saying we wanted a liberatory lifestyle, right? We wanted a liberation-centered education, Right. We didn't really know what that meant. We didn't know what it meant or means to really decolonize our parenting. All right. We, we hear these words about conscious and gentle parenting, but what is, how does that actually look in practice when we really didn't have many models of that to practice from? That's when, you know, I, right before the pandemic, I was thinking like, we need support as parents and how do we create that support? So, so when the pandemic hit, it really was an opportunity for me to use the virtual space to build community with not just Folks in our state, but folks across the world, because we have folks that were like emailing me saying, I wish I lived in, in Connecticut because I'd love to be a part of this on the ground community. And then our on the ground expanded virtually, and that's where the village really was born. And it's been an amazing space where we provide the supports the conversations and the learning opportunities for folks to really heal, to unlearn and relearn together. And it's been exciting to be able to bring folks like Akila and Sunjata. And we have radical learning. There's so many beautiful people that have come through the village to provide offerings really to support us as the adults (laughs) who are supporting and raising free people. So that's Sort of how the journey has happened.
1: I won't let my active psoriatic arthritis joint symptoms define me.
2: Emerge as you
1: I wondered if we could just go back one step and talk a little bit about more about what you were saying about not listening to your own intuition, right? How the ways in which conventional schooling practices can stifle children's like natural inclination to learn. Like, you know, I I don't know if my audience is familiar with Peter Gray or, you know, that kind of thing, but like that to me, it really speaks to me. And so I wonder if you could tell our audience just a little bit about that kind of concept.
3: Yeah, when you know, so folks like Peter Gray, and if you've read any or any of your audience members have read any of Peter Gray's articles or books, you'll notice that in in Peter Gray's own writings and research that a lot of what he describes in his observing children in many different settings is that the way children naturally learn, it's indigenous. (laughs) Right? So it is, you know, I think about there's two um key ways in which people really learn effectively. And there's current, you know, academic research to support all of this now, but our ancestors knew this without having to even, you know, intellectualize it. (laughs) And that is um, we learn by watching, Right? We learn by being in community with our elders, with other folks of different ages, right and backgrounds. You know, if I'm interested in fishing, I go hang out with the folks that fish. If I'm interested in building, I'm hanging out with the people who are building things. If I'm interested in cooking, I'm in the kitchen, right? Like that, and I get messy and I get burned and I get cut because the learning process is naturally messy.
1: You're talking about observational learning, but also that experience piece, like that sort of muscle memory of doing a thing.
3: We force kids school, there's a lot of rote memorization, right? Because they're not doing. They're reading a lot about the doing, but they're not actually doing the doing. (laughs) Right? And so when you're not doing it, you're right. It's your body's not remembering. There is this beautiful dance between your body, your intuition, and then the actual thing that you're physically doing. And when you do that dance, You don't have to do all this hardcore memorization all the time because now it becomes part of your DNA. It becomes a part of your spirit and who you are. So you don't have to force it out. It just comes out naturally. So there's that piece. We learn by actually doing things and watching people and practicing with them, right? And then the other piece is that we learn through storytelling, right? (laughs) Everyone loves a good story. I don't care how old you are, right? I don't know a person that doesn't connect with stories, right? We all connect with stories. We know that our ancestors spent lots of time, you know, around a fire sharing stories. We passed passed down history. We passed down traditions. We passed uh, down recipes through the art of oral storytelling. And so, now, through modernization, storytelling now happens in many various forms. Right, it's not just orally. We can watch a YouTube video. We can listen to a podcast. Right, there's books and magazines. So there's many forms in which stories now we can share and we can listen. But oftentimes, I find in conventional schooling, we tend to favor things that are written. <laughs> the written word is the sacred thing. And I'm not saying there's not anything wrong with the written word, but that's not the only way in which people learn. And we need to be honest about, and also honest but about how kids learn, but also like, not demonize or make kids feel bad if the way they naturally learn is through listening or watching versus having to read everything, right? I'm not saying don't teach your kids how to read, but if there are other ways in which they are getting information and practicing things that work better for them, then you, you have to be able to be flexible around that and find the ways and ma- kind of match your kids to the things that work for them.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing you say the word flexible and I'm thinking like conventional school is like anything but flexible.
3: Not flexible. <laughs> yeah. It's one way and that's
1: <laughs> like, it. You're not going to get that. Yeah. yeah, it's like everyone is going to learn exactly the same thing at exactly the same time and exactly the same way, regardless of how you learn, right? Or what you are want to learn about, right? And, and that to me, I, you know, is really something that interests me about self-directed learning. The idea that you could like, Trust a child or trust a, a person to you know know what's good for them or know what they want to be interested in, and maybe not every kid wants to do wants to get from point A to point B exactly on this road.
3: What school doesn't do, and what I noticed that self directed learning offers for my children and other people's children that I've observed is that when you create the conditions in the space for young people to really openly like explore what they're interested in, what makes them excited. Because I think that's the most important thing is that we have a world and we have communities of people that do things that excite them. Because when we do things that excite us, that literally puts us, our energy, we vibrate in a higher frequency. That's just how, that's the metaphysics of it. Like, we, you know, I don't know anyone that's doing something that excites them and that their energy feels low, <laughs> right? Right. And you could feel that, you could see that when someone's doing, think about an artisan who's, you know, whittling, you know, whittling with some wood is building something really beautiful and how they kind of get lost in the work that they do. That's when, you know, you find you have found the thing that excites you, that you can, like, time is lost. Wow. Yes. was building that thing for Absolutely. three hours. It felt like 10 yeah. minutes.
1: That's flow. When you're in flow, it's like, it's almost like a state of stress, but it's good stress, stress we like. Stress that feels good to us. I mean, I feel
3: that when I do my work, and mm-hmm. so for me, that's what about that's one of the key elements for me or purposes of education is how do we support people and finding that their spark and people that really tuning in and leaning into the things that excite them so that they continue to evolve their work and their practice and hone in to the thing that excites them. Because I want the person who's working on my car to be working on it, not because someone told them that's just the job you need to do because it pays the bills, but because it excites them, right? Like they love tinkering with cars, right? That's the person that's going to, I know, is going to Probably do really well with my car. I can trust them with my car, right? We all want to be able to trust the people that we work with in our lives, right? I want kids to feel excited about what they do. And schools don't give the space for children to do that. You know, you start, they tell you what you're supposed to do, and then they tell you when it's time to be done and move on. I mean, there's some things I know when I was in school that put me in the art room, I loved the art space. I could be there for hours. But I wasn't given that freedom to do that. And I think I wonder, had I had the freedom to spend most of my time in the art room, what kinds of things would I have been built? What kinds of skills would I have developed? What other, you know, interests might have developed from that if I was given that space? And I feel like that is the thing that kids are missing when they are in school. They, they miss the opportunity to really dive into the things that excitement and to see where that leads them in their self-directed learning life.
1: I mean I really agree with what you're saying and as you're talking I'm realizing you know so many kids don't actually get to do that until they're 18 or yeah. if they do if
3: right they do. Like, if
1: 18, they do it's like oh like what do I want to do what do I want to be like not everybody knows what they want to be at 5 years old you know what I mean and and that what you what you're talking about in in the art room the idea that you could spend extra time there and who as you're saying who knows what that might have led you to who knows what that could have sparked inside of you and what that would have grown to be over time. Right. And a lot of people don't get to experience, you know, the, the, um, the exploration of themselves and what they're interested in until they're adults. I mean, I have, you know, grown adults in my practice who are, you know, I've been doing this job for 20 years. Like maybe it isn't what I want to do. Maybe this isn't my calling. Maybe this isn't my thing. Like I just did this because this is what my parents told me to do. You know, like my parents said, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a doctor, this is what you're doing. And it's like, oh, well, I will do the thing. And now it's like, wait, but I'm like living someone else's thing. I'm not necessarily living my thing, you know, and now I have to figure out what my thing is, you know, and I really, that's, that's another thing that really draws me. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, you were talking about that term decolonize, right? Decolonizing our parenting. and And that is like a, you know, a kind of like abstract kind of thing for a lot of people. We are, you know, obviously since 2020 when the racial reckoning happened, um, <laughs> really reckoned with it. When that was all going on, everyone's talking to colonize your mind, to colonize your parenting, to colonize, you know, fill in the blank, right? And and like, what does that really mean? You know, what does that really mean when we're talking about parenting specifically and learning?
3: When I think about colonization, I mean, the next word I think about is oppression, right? Colonization is a form and a practice of oppression, of oppressing people. Do I think those who colonize, like when I think about those who colonize the United States were in in their minds all thinking like this is exactly, you know, what we want to do. I think their goals were mostly connected to religion, right? (laughs) Um, Here's the thing about oppression is that this is how it works is that, well, hurt people continue to hurt people, right? We know that old that old phrase, and that's how colonization has pretty much shown up in our lives, right? You've had people who were hurt, <laughs> who were oppressed, who then continue to oppress others under the name of religion, right? I mean, that's just sort of like the quick sort of summary of it all. And so for me, when we are decolonizing, we are awakening and we are becoming more conscious and aware of how our practices as parents, as practitioners, um, as people living on this planet, how we continue to use some of those practices of oppression, right? Which are all tied to all the isms, white supremacy, right? Sexism, race, like all of those things are connected to colonization and slavery because those things are connected. They're not separate from each other. So yeah, for me, it is about recognizing as a Boricua. Uh, you know, how white supremacist practices infiltrated in my own culture and how I, our own culture, people in our own culture, how I uh, subconsciously practice white supremacy <laughs> and literally say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like I'm going to begin to name those things, those elements in my upbringing. Right. And I'm not going to, I'm. Not, it stops here. <laughs> like it stops here. So yeah, and for me, that's not separate from, you know, our unschooling or our, our self-directed learning journey. Like for me, that has to happen as we are raising free people. And as we are, you you know, questioning a system of schooling, you have to question <laughs> all the things, right? You can't just be question one thing and decide, I'm not going to question that and that, but I'll question this, right? That's just not how it works it's going to be hard and you're they're going to be and you're going to grieve like there are going to be practices that you will grieve <laughs> because you just you were conditioned to be attached to these practices right or wrong that's been the social conditioning and so yeah i mean it ain't easy <laughs> but who said who said parenting is and and it's both hard and the most beautiful and rewarding journey. I'm, I'm a different human being because of these two spirits that came into my life, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a better person because of these two beautiful children in my life. So I always, you know, tell parents or new parents, like lean into all of it, just lean into all of that messiness because you will be thanking your children at the end of this.
1: (laughs) And what have you seen? Like, if you think about your children um, and the ages that they are, what do you think Mm -hmm. is different? your children at the age as they are than you were when you were that, their same age?
3: Oh, um, Shane and I talk a lot about this. (laughs) You know, one of the things that I love and I appreciate about my kids is they don't have a fear of talking to adults. You know, they're naturally more introverted kids. So just, you know, they're not, they're not as much of a social bug as their mom is. So, however they aren't afraid to speak their mind no filters right like and for me as a kid I learned very early on that I had to have a filter because not everyone's going to appreciate my honesty right or the way in which my honesty rolls off my tongue as a young person who's lear- still learning words and learning how to like talk and interact with people right without being shamed and so When you remove that shaming practice, right, it allows kids to really be, to freely say what's on their mind, (laughs) Um, to not be afraid to say no to an adult, to tell an adult about (laughs) themselves, you know, like those things. Other, I know that there are parents, perhaps in my own family and in my friend circle that kind of cringe, you know, because in their minds, they're they're thinking a lot of like what I thought as a young person, like, oh, I can't say that to my parent, <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, I'd much rather have my children be messy with their honesty and who they are and how they feel. And we can talk about that openly together than to have a kid who's afraid to tell me what's on their mind, to feel guilty, to feel embarrassed to feel all sorts of these negative things, and then they don't say what they need to say. So that's a big difference. I also noticed that my kids are just, they're learning... The academic things like I could probably hear some of your audience members wondering like yeah okay that's nice so you do the you find the thing you love and it excites you but like can you read fluently can you like do some math can you, uh, make, can you make sure
1: change you... The bodega?
3: yeah <laughs> can they count the change at the bodega right like <laughs> it's funny because now that my kids are 10 and 12 so they're you know sort of that, that middle school age right I remember when they were much younger and I started this journey feeling all of that anxiety and fear, especially school, as a former like reading teacher, school teacher. I remember thinking like, oh my God, Like, if we're not going to use curriculum and, and life is our curriculum we learn through doing, are they really going to learn these things? And a lot of veteran unschoolers would always say, relax, trust me. My kid, man, they didn't really start reading or writing until maybe 11, 12, 10. And then once they did, they just... It's one thing to read that. <laughs> it's another thing to live it. Because, yes, those veteran unschoolers were absolutely right. Like, my children, once they started reaching sort of this middle schoolish age, something that's different from when I was growing up their age, like these things were forced on me and they didn't feel fun. And I oftentimes, the things that I didn't perform to an adult's gaze properly, right? Or proficiently, then I was made to feel stupid or inferior, like I'm never going to get this, or I'm not a math person because like, I just keep screwing it up all the time. My kids don't know what that's like. They learn at their pace without knowing what the standardization levels look like. (laughs) And that is a freedom. That is a
1: freedom huge freedom that you don't have to be somewhere at, at, at the time someone says you have to be there. You're there when you feel you need to be. Yeah. And I
3: love seeing them, th- you know, when they're like, you know, my eldest like, Oh, I know how to read. Like to him, for him to be like, from, I know how to, I know how to read to like, I remember when he was like, I want to learn how to read. Cause I, I'm, I'm not sure, sh- you know, I feel like I need to be better, you know, like, cause on, on his own, that's, you know, what he said, both of them at different points have said this on their mm-hmm. own. and like look, I taught reading. So I know it's in my brain. I like, can't even wipe it out. I know like what the standards are. I know like where kids are supposed to be, you know, whatever grade, whatever age level. Right. And Mm -hmm. I know what, if they were in a classroom, what a teacher might think of them at their age based on their reading skills or their, you know, writing skills. And I also know that a teacher that would express those feelings to a child, like to someone like my child, my child would have all those feelings that I had growing up. Like I must feel not, I'm not, not smart enough, or I must not be good enough. Or why are, is everyone else doing this better than me? And they don't have that because there's no, they don't live in a world of comparison. Right? So I'm always at all, not just with them, but their friends who are also part of like our cooperative to see these kids so free and being who they are, and feel so confident, right, in ways that are just the opposite of what I was taught as a school teacher to believe about kids. Like, it, it, this has really flipped my whole. I mean, I worked in academia for a while as in a research center, so all the research that we had for me, I feel like it's just been flipped upside down. Like, I'm like, okay, the, like this is blowing my mind. <laughs>
1: So let's talk a little bit about your your community. You you talked a little bit about it, right? People come in, they sort of, they don't know necessarily, they know they want their child to be free, but they have no idea what that means or how they're going to get there or what that's going to look like or how, might, how much white knuckling they might have to do while, they, <laughs> while their child doesn't read till 10 years old, right? Like, w- but you know, what happens in there? Tell us about the village and and what what a person finds there.
3: Yeah, so in the village... We have a gathering space and that gathering space, but we have a calendar. So folks, our community is um, welcome to actually put offerings. So, so much like in a self-directed learning community. So most folks are probably that are have their kids in conventional schooling may not be familiar with a, a self-directed learning community or like an agile learning center is a type of a self-directed learning community. When you enter these kinds of spaces or like even in our co-op, one of the things that we talk about as a community is offerings. So in school, they might call that courses or classes, right? But the courses and classes are put on to kids, right? Maybe as they get a little little older, they might have some options as to which ones they could pick, but still the designing of them was built by adults, right? Kids had no say in the formulation of what the curriculum, you know, what courses and options they would have. So we have offerings and offerings can be thought up in advance, right? There could be some planning and an offering can be in the moment. It could be like, I want to put an offering because I'm feeling called to like maybe have a conversation about this or I'm feeling called to make this thing. Who wants to make it with me? So again, there's this intuitive piece to it too that you can't plan. You just kind of feel your way through it. And so much like in a self-directed physical learning community, our, our, our virtual community functions in that way. We have many offerings. I offer live conversations every month with other leaders in the liberation education and learning movement, parenting movement. We also have folks who provide live or pre-recorded courses and workshops in our community. So like, for example, this month, we have Leslie Priscilla from um, Latinx Parenting. Her and Fernando are doing uh, Liberating Our Lineages um, workshop here. It's pre-recorded. Folks can access a lot of these courses from our partners on their own websites, but they would have to pay a fee. Through our community, they don't have to pay, or they can choose to pay what they want through our Patreon. So we are... um, Our business model, because we're not a nonprofit, we do have a fiscal sponsor, so it allows us to, you know, get some grant money. But we yeah, we rely on a combination of of grants and and sponsors, folks who are part of our community, who are financially comfortable and can afford to give, give what they can a month and the, the culmination of, you know, all of that giving that we get is what allows us to pay for these learning experiences so that they are accessible to our community. Because that's always been a priority for me is one, making sure that we're doing this work from the lens of Black, Indigenous, and folks of color. Because in the unschooling world, while there are many of us in it, oftentimes the voices that are centered are not uh, ours. So that's really important in the village is that our voices, our experiences are centered and that the support that is that is provided is always thinking about folks of color, right? It doesn't mean that white folks are not part of our community. They are welcomed. Co- white co-conspirators are welcomed in our community. <laughs> Let me be very clear.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of people who are listening who do not know what that means. Would you tell people what a co-conspirator is?
3: Yeah. So a co-conspirator is someone who's active, not passive, right? When I think about, you know, an ally, you know, is a person who is passively, (laughs) yeah, they read books, they attend a workshop, you know, maybe they go to a rally, but they're not actively involved or even have active relationships with folks of color. They're not actively involved on the ground with organizations that support folks of color, um, they're not actively giving up some privilege in order to support folks of color. Right. So that is what a co-conspirator does for for me in in my own definition. So we have amazing white co-conspirators in our, in our space who support the space. And they also know like when there's an event that's just for folks of color, you know, they know. (laughs) They know not to step in, right? Like They know that's a sacred space um, that needs to stay sacred for folks of color. So yeah, with our uh, Patreon members and some of the grant dollars, we've been able to offer our workshops and our our offerings uh, for free. So I love that I'm able to, one, Offer learning opportunities, healing opportunities, because healing is so central to this decolonization work. There's a lot of healing that we need as folks of color that we don't talk about. You know, our ancestors experienced slavery, colonization, oppression and there was no worldwide wide healing therapy for us and our ancestors we still I'm have talking
1: about Janae. just pull yourself up by your bootstraps yeah sister. i mean really right <laughs> so absolutely
3: for me that's why healing needs to be so central to this work you can't just say like there's a checklist of like you know doing self directed learning or self directed education without addressing some of our own trauma without really being intentional. Like what are the parts of me and my own lineage that needs healing and some reckoning for me to be able to move forward and really fully adopt a self directed life. So yeah, all of that, that brings me joy to be able to, you know, build these relationships with our partners and be able to bring them in together with our villagers for them to do this work together and to hear like just the amazing things that people are doing on the ground, starting their own, you know, ALCs or self-directed learning communities, you know, folks that are like saying, like, I'm finding the spark in myself, right? <laughs> you know, le- never even by my own kid, like I'm finding my own spark in the thing that excites me, right? That's what this community is about. And accessibility had to be, I mean, that for me, there was no question to it. Like it needs to be accessible to to folks. A lot of folks of color that are, Unschooling. I mean, it's a mixed group of folks, but it's like in our co-op, most of our families are, everyone's working. <laughs> most of us are working. Right. When I was part of a, a co-op that, um, where we had other white families in, in our state that were part of that, that was, it, it was not uncommon to find white families where there is one partner working and the other one was staying full-time home right because financially they could right and i'm not saying that speaks to every white family that home educates. like we all know that there's no like 100 percent of anything but those are the patterns that i was noticing was that you know with, with my people like we all had to work and yeah. so um yeah accessibility is has always been really important for me and so i'm grateful for those who who give so generously so that we can do this and we and then we support our partners like all of our partners are BIPOC folks, the majority of them, and we're also supporting their work, right? Like, it's just like a win-win on all, all the sides.
1: <laughs> sort of piggybacking off of what you just said about um, working families and, um, you know, people being in different situations, maybe even some white families being there. I wonder if, you know, what is it like? What What is being in your community like for people who haven't made the the, the total jump, right? Like, I have to send my kids to school. I am yeah. working. I, my kids just can't be at home all day. Like I got to be somewhere else. Um, but yeah. philosophy, this way that I, I do want to raise my children this way. Yeah. I do want them to feel like free, liberated humans in the world. Right. Even though I need to send them to this place because it, to a trad- traditional school, because maybe that's all that's available in my town. Exactly. And yeah. To work. Yeah. And yeah. so what happens there? So
3: yeah. Cause community is important. This work, cannot happen alone. It's it's almost impossible to do this work alone. Community could be family, could be friends, could be neighbors, can be, you know, like your co-op, right? And so, I mean, I've known people who have tried doing this as single parents and because they didn't have an extended community to really help them, you know, they needed someone to watch their kid for a few hours while they went to work they oftentimes would end up using school because school was the community for them. I also know single parents who do this and have been doing it because they have extended community members, right? Like they have the village that helps them to raise their child. So the number one thing is I never want a parent to feel bad about the choices they have to make for their family, what's right in that time. And what's right in in this moment can be temporary. And I think sometimes that's hard for us to understand. Sometimes we live in this ideal, like we want the ideal thing. I want the thing that, you know, I see Chime has on a video screen, right? Because like what you're seeing is 10% or 5% of my life. (laughs) No one knows the rest and and all the people that support me and my family that that, that, that makes me or helps me to do this life. And so I think that It's nice to know what you really want and put it here, but also understand like that it's okay to like have these baby steps and to work towards that slowly. It doesn't have to happen overnight. So, and there are elements of self-directed learning that you can integrate into your lifestyle while your kids are in school, right? You might even choose school because your kids are choosing school, right? Which is still self-directed learning. It's if they are choosing to be there. (laughs) That doesn't mean they're not self-directing. They are actually self-directing, right? So I think that's okay. I don't think any parents should feel bad that they need to rely on school because that is the community they have right now. And as they are utilizing that community, you know, they can also find other ways in which they're building relationships with other parents maybe that are able to dive deeper into self-directed education, like build those partnerships and relationships Expand your community because that expansion will allow you and your child to be able to explore alternative ways of like learning and living together, right? So, even if your kid's still in school, there might be other opportunities outside of school when they leave school where they can dive into their passions. And I think the other thing is that, you know, when you're raising a child who's understands their autonomy, right, <laughs> knows their sovereign, you know, whole being in this world, right, separate from their parents, that um, they take that philosophy and they take that um, confidence into that classroom, right, and that they're not afraid to use it and that you as a parent make it very clear to, their, to your child that you support them 100% no matter what. You, I support you 100% because then they know I always got back up. If I say no and I speak my mind to an adult, right, in a a school, I know my mom's not going to shame me and punish me. I know she's going to back me up, right? Because we've had these conversations.
1: Yes, absolutely. In a similar way, do you have parents um, in the village, in um, the My Reflections Matter village who are, maybe haven't made the jump, maybe who are still using conventional school, but they are, you know, philosophy-wise changing, telling their children, about the fact that I have your back, right? For instance, I, just my child, for instance, like we're not a punishment family. She's never been punished in her life. And, but people get punished at her school, like punished, I mean, like, you know, that kind of um, removing of privileges, you lose recess time, things like that, which I think are horrific, but it it can or happen. rewards,
3: you only get or, rewarded if you perform right. the way
1: I want you to perform, right? right. Mm-hmm. Correct, but my kid knows that that's not, cool right like she'll so she'll say she'll come home and say like so and so I saw two kids and they were made to sit on the bench for at recess and nobody even helped them work it out <laughs> like no one even taught them how to like talk it out or anything you know like they, they she knows That's that beautiful. like she's yeah. supposed to learn something you know that like we're not going to punish you, but we will sit you down and say, like, hey, let's talk about this. Like, here's some information you may not have about the scenario. Right. Like, like, here's how you would talk this thing through with a friend of yours that you're having a disagreement with. And I'm not just going to punish both of you, because what do you learn then? We've learned nothing, you know. And and I think so. I'm wondering about that in the village. Is there a way that parents can have these philosophies, teach their kids these things and their kids still have to participate in the conventional world?
3: I mean, our, all of our kids have to participate in the conventional world, right? Because, like, my kids are not in conventional schooling, but they're in conventional sports teams, <laughs> and the majority of the kids on their teams go to school, right? So we're not living in a bubble, although there are some home educators, right, that choose to do that, and that's a whole other kind of conversation. And I, mean, I think there's a, that's very problematic because, well, like I said, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but... Yeah. Our community is a blend of, we've got like hardcore unschoolers that have been doing this like forever. And then we've got folks who have their kids in conventional school that are, like you said, dipping their toes They're I'm really interested in this. Maybe I don't have options right now or feel like I don't, or I'm afraid to kind of take a risk or don't, don't have enough support to take risks to, to do this. Um, but I want to know more. So we have all the range. We have educators. So we have folks that don't have their own children and they're working directly with other people's children, some that are in conventional schools. And we have some that are in non-conventional learning communities. Like I described earlier, um, we have a nice blend of folks. Um, and that's intentional. Like I, one of the things that turned me off in um, some unschooling communities was that <laughs> this they were using tools of oppression without thinking, realizing they were using tools of oppression. Right? They were. There was a lot of shaming of like people who send their kids to school, almost like I feel like I'm superior or better because we've opted out of the system and you all are still part of this game, right? And you know, th- things are just not black I and white mean, like that.
1: The hierarchies of yeah. like. It's that
3: hierarchy. That hierarchy exists in school too, just in a different way, right? Like I'm not trying to be part of any of these hierarchies. And I don't think, you know, life is very complex and layered. All of us are in different physical spaces and communities, right? That can allow us to navigate unschooling or not in different ways. But we're also healing-wise In different spaces, and we need to give each other grace for that. Instead of shaming each other and making it seem like I'm better because I'm able to do this thing, we need to have compassion and really serve more as a support for folks who are curious rather than making them feel bad about that. So for me, that was always been important in the village that we are not a place that shames anyone because you know they send their kids to school or their kids choose to go to school. In fact, we have a meetup tonight. Dominique, one of our long-term villagers, we're hosting, uh, we do monthly meetups to support just our BIPOC caregivers that are navigating the self-directed learning life. And so we have, Dominique's kids are in school. (laughs) Mine aren't, (laughs) right?
1: So there you go. It's just, it's a mix of people. And it sounds like you're on board with the mission. You're welcome. It sounds like. If you're on board
3: and you know, like, look, the current system we know is designed to produce the kind of outcomes, the inequitable outcomes we see, it's designed to do that. That's not by mistake, it's by design. I get it, I understand it. We all agree on that. We all agree that we all want something different, right? And we want something that honors our children and their full being, not coerces or punishes them or makes them feel like they have no choice in their life, right? So
1: they don't really learn to use their voice or learn that their voice matters in some spaces. Yeah, I love that. I feel like that's a great place to sort of wrap up that, you know, the magic is within us, right? Like, I feel like it's like the Dorothy's in the slippers, like you have the ability to go home all the time. So, you know, thanks so much, Jame, for being here and having this chat with me. You know, we ran long and that's okay. I just, it was so, I wanted to have all of this. I wanted to, just like you're saying, I want more people to know, you know, and, and I'm so glad that you were able to be here and give us a little taste. That's all for today's episode of Project Parenthood. Thanks for listening. And I hope you found this helpful. Be sure to join me live on Instagram at BKParents on Monday, February 26th at 12.45 PM for my monthly Ask Dr. Core. Get your questions answered in real time. If you have a question for me about parent-child relationships, respectful parenting tips, and or parental mental health that you'd like me to cover in a future episode, shoot me an email at parenthood at quickanddirtytips.com. Leave a message at 646-926-3243 or leave a message on Instagram at bkparents. That's B-K-P-A-R-E-N-T-S. And you can learn about my private practice working with parents living in New York State at www.brooklynparenttherapy.com. Catch you next week. Project Parenthood is a Quick and Dirty Tips podcast. It's audio engineered by Dan Firebend. Our podcast and advertising operations specialist is Morgan Christensen. Our digital operations specialist is Holly Hutchings. And our marketing and publicity associate is Davina Tomlin. See you next week.